Welcome to the Rust Belt Rundown, brought to you by Rust Belt Recruiting. This podcast is designed to shine a light on the meaningful work being done in Northeast Ohio and the surrounding region. We will convene manufacturing executives and Northeast Ohio business leaders for candid discussions about their business, regional happenings, industry trends, entrepreneurship, and more. Now, let's get running on the rundown. Welcome, everyone, to episode 14 of the Rust Belt Rundown. Uh, I'm Taylor Evans, and on this episode, we are joined by John Husted, the Lieutenant Governor of the State of Ohio. Uh, welcome to the show, sir. Great to be with you. Thank you. So, hey, first question. Having grown up in Northwest Ohio, you were surrounded by a very industrial economy. Your father was a machine operator at an area manufacturer. Can you tell us a little bit about how your upbringing has shaped your viewpoint on the industrial workforce and how it plays into your day-to-day decision-making as the Lieutenant Governor? Well, you know, I grew up in the 1980s in a town that was, you know, my dad worked for the largest employer. It was, uh, it was Mohawk Tools. And my uncle worked, I had two uncles that worked there, an aunt that worked there. You know, it was the largest employer by a long shot in the community. I think it employed around 400 people in a town of 4,000. Um, and, you know, those folks made good livings and could raise a family on, on what they made there working, uh, developing. Basically, they made machine tools. You know, my, my, I, I worked third shift there one summer as my summer job, you know, and yeah. And uh, when I was in high school, but it closed down um, when when America went through the beginnings of globalization and the and the collapse of a lot of our our big three automakers, mm-hmm. uh, it, it shut down and it devastated that community. It devastated families, um, and I got to see firsthand, you know, what that means to people in their real lives. You know, I had a I, my dad had. Um, you know, seven other brothers and sisters, they all lived in, in the same kind of, you know, within 20 minutes of each other and now it was gone. And now, and then they all had to move out of the area and find jobs somewhere else. And, and uh, it was devastating for both my family and the community that I lived in. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I have great empathy for what happens to families and communities when these places close. Uh, and it and it was really the downfall in many ways to a lot of what happened in that town and the people that lived there, and and so that shapes you. When those things happen to you in life, it shapes you, makes you think about those things, and and um, you know it, it always taught me a lot of lessons. Which I, if you want to, I can go into them. I'll just t- touch on a couple of them. It's like, look, globalization is real. It's a threat, and you gotta. And, and we got to prepare as a nation. Uh, communities can't put all their eggs in one basket. You know, people need to be, they can't be dependent on, a, on an employer for their livelihood. They got to have skills and we got in sure. an education and, and credentials and things like that that are portable that can empower them as individuals to be able to go out and, and uh, take care of themselves and not be dependent on an employer that they expect to work from, from start to finish in their careers. And so, it, it really, uh, it really shaped, you know, how I saw the world and how I see the world today. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we see an example like that playing out in real time, hopefully, um, with some positive change in Lordstown, right? I mean, t- 
two, two, three years ago, it was devastating. And hopefully Lordstown Motors and um, the new battery plant are able to, you know, provide some new innovation for that area. But um, like you said, depending on the employer can be such a risky um, thing for the workforce. Yeah, well, th that's why, you know, when we did the, the clawback with General Motors uh, on the closure of the Lordstown plant for all the tax incentives that they had received, and they were, they were great, they, they understood, and they worked well with us, but we set aside uh, some of that money to put back into the Mahoning Valley so that we could train people for the electric automobile industry uh, and additive manufacturing. So, of course, the future. Yeah, yeah, it was for them. You know, we, we don't want, we don't want, people to be dependent on just one just on one manufacturer or one plant we want them to have some trans some you know transferable skills as this industry develops that they that if things didn't go well they they, they would have some skills they could go other places and apply them Absolutely. So that's a good transition um, to my next question. Can you give our listeners um, some insight into what the governor's office of workforce transformation does for the citizens of Ohio? Well, I, I'll, uh, I'll try. I could probably spend uh, a day trying to explain that, but, but I'll try to summarize it. Look, every state's required, their state is required to have an Office of Workforce Transformation where you have a mostly a business advisory council where you're actually hearing from a representative sample of businesses and organized labor and educators about what's going on in the economy and how you can work between business and education and labor workforce issues and to help build, make sure that you're, you're aligned, that your educational institutions are aligned with what the jobs are in the, in the state and in, in local communities and that you're you know, basically spending your money where you're gonna get the biggest return on that for the people of your state. Mm -hmm. That's what we try to do. Okay. Uh, and, and so uh, and, and around that, we design programs and services that we believe uh, and change incentives on the way we spend money to hopefully drive better outcomes so that, that our workforce is, is aligned with the kind of jobs that are being created in our state. Yeah. So what are, what just for our listeners are kind of the two or three um, skill sets that you're really pushing, uh, uh, again, for the industrial side um, to make our economy, you know, viable for the next 20, 30, 40 years? Well, look, our entire economy is tech infused. So you have to, you have to take the tech that's, whether it's in manufacturing or agriculture, whatever that might be, and help people earn the skills to manage that. Um, in manufacturing, that could be, you know, computer assisted design, it could be robotics, mm -hmm. uh, all the various things that we do in manufacturing facilities uh, to produce products in an efficient manner. And we also know this, to compete against foreign competitors, you need to have more, you need to be better at productivity. You have to be better at efficiency because sure. you don't want to compete on wages. Uh, if you're competing on wages, that's in many cases driving down people's standard of living. If you can compete on productivity, where they're being more productive, they can also earn more and, and make the employer more competitive. So I'm really focused in those in-demand skills that are tech-infused uh, that are going to help businesses and people compete and, and that they also are portable. That's why you, know, you used to earn a skill, but you couldn't prove it, right? Now you have these certifications that you can, you can have that make, your, make you 
you know, give you more portability as an employee. And an, empl an employee who has portability also has the ability to compete for better wages and better work benefits and work environment. And all of those things together uh, are really, you know, work well. And I'm trying to do this across high, you know, from high school where kids earn credentials in high school that also can be college credits that can transfer. So you can, you can view your education as more like climbing the stairs uh, where you just can continue to, to earn credentials, earn degrees and things like that, that, that will build up over time. And then do things for incumbent employees like TechCred, which we have, yep. uh, techcred.ohio.gov, uh, I think is our website on that. I hope if you're interested in upskilling, if you're in the workforce, that we do that, that, you, that your employer will help you earn additional skills that can make you more productive for them and, and help you have more job security and better earning power. Um, and also an individualized component of that, that if you're out of work, let's say you work in the hospitality industry, pandemic forced you out of your job, you wanna look at something new, we have a, we have a whole menu of options for you to, to do this. And when I say tech and I say like robotics, people are like, well, I can't, I can't invent a robot, I can't do, it's not what we're talking about. We're talking yeah. about, can you do maintenance on a robot? Right. Can you do the basic programming? And this is not complicated, believe me. I, I talk about tech a lot, but it's not like I have some great skill <laughs> in this area. I, I, sometimes, sometimes not having a skill is a good thing because like you say, well, if I can do it, anybody can do it. Believe right. me, if I can do these things, programming robots and doing things like that, anybody can do it. And, and, and these are not out of touch of the, and not, not out of reach for the average person. I completely hear you. And I, you know, I think sometimes someone coming in as a blank slate with no preconceived notion is almost the better way to then more effectively upskill them because you're not undoing bad habits. So they, you know, are coming in, they're willing to learn and um, you go and grow from there. Yeah, um, absolutely. So We've been at an inflection point for the viability of our industrial economy. Unfortunately, we um, just as a population, not just Ohio, but nationally, uh, have not had overwhelming success in backfilling the aging population of our skilled workforce. Uh, and COVID-19 has been an accelerant on the retirements. I mean, I know plenty of manufacturing owners who they've got that employee who stuck around because they really cared about the owner. And they were like, I'm going to give you one or two more years, right? <laughs> I, you know, just because you've been good to me and my family. Well, now with COVID here, they're saying, I can't, this can't be a life or death thing for me. So is this, you know, with, with, with the required training and upskilling that goes into making someone a viable fit for this uh, and the, the lead time it sometimes takes to get to them to some of these skills. I mean, we've got a five to 10 window here where I kind of believe it's a true crisis, unfortunately. And so is there any realistic way to accelerate that gap here in the next decade to um, keep our industrial workforce and our industrial economy viable? Well, yeah, and I think that's happening in Ohio to some extent right now. I mean, we have um, uh, innovative workforce partnerships. We have a, a number of industry sector partnerships where we have, we're literally um, building training programs in the Mahoning Valley and look everywhere in construction and manufacturing where we have employers 
we're coordinating job training programs between employers who maybe need a onesie twosies, like they need one employee here, one employee there. Like they don't, they're, they're not in training on an industrial scale that we, we can um, develop those training programs with local providers to do this. And so that's happening. So sort of that individualized regional economy approach that's mm-hmm. happening now. Um, we're doing that with our career centers, uh, with our community colleges. This is working. Some places it's working better than others. And then we have programs like I talked about with TechCred, where employers are just purchasing these things sort of off the shelf to upskill their existing employees. Because this is this is something that you may, I believe this, that if you have a good work ethic, you can do anything. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And we just got to get you trained, right? We just got to get you, because I know a lot of employers who say, look, this, this guy, he's worked for me for a while, or this woman's worked for me a while. And, you know, maybe she had, or he had a criminal background. Maybe they came from an environment where they maybe didn't have all the, 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 the social skills, or maybe they didn't have a technical background. There are ways that we can train them up yeah. and, and get them ready for the next thing. And that's what these programs are designed for. That's the way our system, our education system is becoming more adaptable to really meet employers and employees where they're coming from. We're doing a lot better job than that we used to. Because look, used, education and job training used to be, we have these programs, you enroll on our time frame, and then you go do it. Well, no, technology can make it more individualized where you can do it at your pace or or, you know, from a distance point of view or things like that. And employers are now more, you know, they get that they have to be flexible at doing these things. So that's happening. The question that you don't know and I don't know is, is it going to be happening fast enough, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, but it's out there. It exists. Uh, and if we get it right, we'll, we'll be more prosperous than a lot of other places. We'll have businesses that will want to grow. Because look, you'll know. I talked to a business the other day who said, look, they weren't meeting their state, they were not meeting their state requirement, okay, for, for their incentives, that they were supposed to hire this many people. And they basically, the employer said, it's not that I'm skipping out on my obligations, that I just can't find the people. And, and then I challenged the local, the local business leadership, the local educational leadership, and frankly, they disappointed me. It's like they, they don't think that they have, they weren't really engaging in solving the problem for this business. Some communities are doing a great job with that. Those are the ones that are going to grow and be prosperous. But if you just think that you're going to do nothing, that you're not going to get your business community working better with your education community to churn out more of the talent that you need from your employers, then you're not going to be successful and your local economy is not going to grow. Yep. It all has to be so you know vertically integrated and there has to be a strategy there. Uh, I know this isn't like apples to apples, but my mind almost went to... Um, uh, you know, knowing that you were a football player yourself, the best communities for football, usually the youth programs in sync with the high school program. So you're developing them the whole way up the chain. And all of a sudden that high school is nine and one, eight and two, 10 and zero every single season. And you're like, how are they so good? Well, look down the chain because they've been bringing those kids up through a program for a decade. You're, you're speaking my language. <laughs> That's exactly right. You watch it happen. But why is that? Because you know what? When the kids get to high school, it's, it's, not, it's not 101 to them. Like they know the fundamentals. You're now teaching higher level skills, higher level experience because they all have the fundamentals in place. 
same thing goes with education and your economy. Absolutely. All right. Last, last meaty question out of respect for your time. My company and our clients have run into unprecedented challenges in that right now, to be honest with you, some folks, it's, there's more incentive to stay on unemployment during the pandemic um, for certain members of the workforce than it would be to truly pursue getting back to work. My question to you is simply, is this something that's on the radar of the administration? And what, if anything, is being done to mitigate taking advantage of this? Because we're talking to employers all the time where they're just saying, unemployment's killing us. It's, it's truly, it's, it's, it's killing employers. And by your reaction, I'm guessing I'm not hitting you with something you haven't heard already. So more so, you know, what's, what's, the, what's the approach it, to that? It, look, it's incredibly frustrating because this is a federal program, uh, the extension of unemployment benefits. And I know for every time I say this, there's going to be somebody else say, well, I can't find a job, my business. And that's true. There are some people, there are some people who they're particular, particularly if you're in the hospitality industry, okay? Because that that sector has been hit hard. But there are really not any other sectors of the economy right now that aren't on fire looking for people, okay? And, And in the end, look, government policies create incentives for people to do the right things or the wrong things. And the federal government policy in this area is creating incentives for people to do the wrong thing, which is to not find work. And understand, I know on a, on a near-term micro level, it may make sense for you. You may yep. say, why in the world should I go to work? Because I can make more money not working. And you know what? In the, right now, that may be true temporarily. But if you're not going to work and you're not developing job skills and you're not building your talent and skill, you are harming your ability to earn more in the long run. Mm-hmm. And you're going to harm your job security and you're going to harm many aspects of your future. And I think most people realize that, but I think a lot of people don't appreciate that fully enough. And that's why we shouldn't have policies that are counter to going back to work. That's why I don't like the policy that's in this new $1.9 trillion package that creates more incentives for people not to work. I don't like the fact that the Biden administration is getting rid of the Medicaid work requirement. And understand this, people say work, you like, it's like it's somehow it's a punishment. It's not a punishment. It's not at all. If you have to, to really feel fulfilled in life, you have to have a purpose. Yes. And for many people, yeah. your career is your purpose. It's, it allows you to, to save. It allows you to have independence. It allows you to have a freedom. It allows you to care for your family and your kids and all of these kinds of things in the long run. And if we're creating incentives for people not to earn those character building skills, like job skills, in the long run, we're just setting them up for failure. And we shouldn't have government policies that discourage people from working. And it's, as you can tell, by the tone of my voice and you can see the look on my face. It's just like, come on, man, we got to get this right. And the government is a problem, not a help in this area. It's, it's hurting. And I appreciate your response and I appreciate your, you know, digging into the importance of just a job providing purpose um, in your day, because it's, 
It's true. I mean, I say it to people all the time, idle hands are the devil's playground, right? By having a job, by having something to take you out of your day to day, or well, to provide structure to your day to day, it gives you the chance to go and live a meaningful life. So um, hopefully this is something that particularly we can- Particularly for young people. Yep. Young people need to have, if you don't, particularly if you don't have the maturity or the life's experience to know this, it's like, it's like, why didn't I get in trouble when I was in high school? Well, it's because I was going from football practice to basketball practice yeah. to track to baseball. I was too busy to get in trouble, right? Well, that's true of lots of people when they're young. You got you to gotta get them focused on doing constructive things so they're not doing destructive things in their lives. And work is essential to that. Absolutely. All right, let's lighten it up on the last one. Um, lastly, we love to have our guests give a shout out to their hometown restaurants during uh, all of this pandemic happening. So when you go back to Montpelier, did I get that right? Montpelier, Ohio. Montpelier, guys. Look up on the map. You'll see where it is. It's way up in the northwest corner of the state. So what's the go-to spot for you to dine in or get takeout food from? What's the hometown favorite? Well, you know, I will tell you that there are not a lot of restaurants there, but my favorite restaurant is called Rouse Diner. And it is a greasy spoon with the best burgers and fries, you know, known to mankind. So I love it. Whenever I find myself in that neck of the woods next, I will <laughs> go out of the way to, uh, to support them. And I'm going to make sure to say that you sent me. So All right. uh, I appreciate your time today. Thank you for um, an awesome dialogue. And uh, we appreciate all that you guys are doing for the citizens of Ohio, getting this state back opened up and hopefully, um, you know, keeping the industrial workforce uh, in the industrial economy moving forward. Great. Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Rust Belt Rundown. Make sure you check us out at rustbeltrecruiting.com. The Rust Belt Rundown is available wherever you listen to your podcasts. Make sure to hit that subscribe button and click on five stars if you enjoyed this episode. See you next time.